0: Hello and welcome to a segment of Hunter-Gatherers that we call Readings. Um, most of us who hung out with Hunter ended up reading uh, aloud, usually his own work. Uh, sometimes, many times, other people's. Um, most notably, some of my favorites were when we read Revelations, but that's another story for another day. This particular reading uh, is from now Southern, um, Terry Southern's son who is actually making a documentary about his father. Again, another story for another day. This has to do with writers and drinking, which is near and dear to uh, the Gonzo heart, of course. And now we'll read uh, Terry Southern. Terry Southern, it should be noted, is widely credited with writing the first new journalism article. And while Gonzo, of course, is not new journalism, they do hang out together. So uh, with no further ado, here's Niall Southern with a reading of his uh, father's work. And uh, you're going to uh, grace us with a, uh, you know, Hunter and I talked a gazillion hours about getting the lead right. Mm -hmm. It was like that was one of the journalism things, and you're about to treat us to one of the better lead paragraphs (laughs) in the history of the New Journalism. And, And, you know, you could argue it's the first paragraph of New Journalism, couldn't you?
1: That's a wonderful way to put it. That's really great. So this is the opening paragraph of Twirling at All Miss, and it's published Esquire, February 1963. And again, the setup is that an editor there, David Newman, thought it'd be fun to send Terry, who, you know, is this pretty sophisticated Texan, actually, who had this whole history in Paris and numerous novels and you know, was about to get into movies, uh, to send him to the baton to the baton twirling institute at All Miss for the summer, uh, and this is the summer before they admitted or were were to admit James Meredith, who would be the first African American, you know, uh, law student, and so it was, uh, you know, pretty tense times in the country and specifically there at Ole Miss in an age gone stale through the complex of bureaucratic interdependencies with its tedious labyrinth of technical specializations each contingent on the next and all aimed to converge into a single totality of meaning it is a refreshing moment indeed when one comes across an area of humor an area of human endeavor absolutely sufficient unto itself pure and free, no strings attached, the cherished and almost forgotten lar pour lar. l'art for l'art, <laughs> sorry, you know, art for art. Such is the work being carried forward now at the Dixie National Baton Twirling Institute down at the campus of Ole Miss, a visit to which is well worthwhile these days if one can keep one's wits about. So sorry for the, but it's l'art pour l'art, you know, it's the French l'art pour l'art. And I have to say that when I went to interview uh, Louis Lapham for the film that I'm making about Terry, his uh, literary editor at Harper's talked to me a little bit and said, you know, I I tell new writers here when they ask me what's a good opening, uh, what can I look at that's a good example, show them the opening of Twirling at Ole Miss. So that was really nice to hear. So I have a piece that Terry wrote that kind of uh, adopts a little bit of the Hunter S. Thompson tinge. It's called Drugs and the Writer. I think Big Chuck Bukowski, if that indeed is his name, is probably right that, that that drink brings good luck to writers. God certainly knows it brings warmth and companionship to an otherwise absurdly forlorn situation. Faulkner always liked to say, A writer without a bottle of whiskey is like a chicken without a goddamn head. And Hemingway, of course, enjoyed nothing more than eulogizing the, quote, Godly Brothers Gordon for hours on end. Joyce would knock back a whopper at every opportunity. In fact, one would be hard-pressed to name more than five writers of first account who were not drinkers. For whatever reason, this does not appear to be the case with women. Indeed, there is almost nothing worse than a drunken woman writer. (laughs) Exceptions abound up to a point. Simone de Beauvoir, whom I knew during her Nelson-Algren period, worked very well behind absinthe or its substitute, Pernod, sipping it for hours at the floor and turning out her typical top-of-the-shelf stuff. But whenever Nels got her on to Boilermakers, she would soon be totally wrecked and start singing Piaf. This was not bad in itself, but she would apply her creative gifts towards improving on these grand old Lavillant Rose-type favorites and would end up rendering some kind of grotesque distortion, Nels had to give her a snappy "Tais-toi, chérie!" on more than one terse occasion. Dot Parker was no stranger to the grape, nor indeed to the double belt, by all accounts. But she could handle it, according to Benchley. Quote, she may have stumbled, but she never fell. And there's every reason to begin. Uh, and there's every reason to believe she did some of her best work under the steadying influence of a certain Monsieur. V-S-O-P. This is not to suggest that any of these writers were alcoholics. I don't believe that a serious writer is in danger of becoming an alcoholic, because after a certain point, one would not be working behind it, but directly in front of it, at peril of getting wiped out blotto thereby defeating its purpose, which is, after all, motivational, and as a hedge against the desolation of such a lonely endeavor. Good writers have so much, dare one say, beauty and excitement to come back to that they are not likely to go very far afield for any great length of time. It may be that addiction to alcohol exists among writers only as a psychological painkiller for the manqué that is, you know, the the ones who are posers, who had set great store by the potential ID value of it. I think this may be said for other recreational drugs as well, with the notable exception of heroin, the effect of which is to reduce everything to a single glow where it is no longer a question of doing or becoming, one is. A difficult package for anyone to resist, Almost no one kicks a major junk habit, only super artists whose work is even stronger than the drug itself. Burroughs and Miles Davis are rather obvious examples. Mere mortals, however, beware. But as Dr. Leary advises, uh, don't just say no, say no thanks.
0: <laughs> yeah. You love that. I, I didn't realize that led with uh, Bukowski.
1: Yeah, right. Yeah. A, like, <laughs> what like, a character. Wow. Oh, yeah,
0: I loved that. Uh, yeah. I loved, I loved the Bukowski stuff. Thank, yeah. cool. Thank you. That
1: was Cool. Thank you. Well, the Southern gentleman hit the highway and gave us stories we could share. Of crooked schemes and shattered dreams, of people of everywhere. Road of whiskey screams and motel rooms where no one seemed to care. Road of deep, dark, secret places, made us feel that.